the, the pulpit, just an opportunity for someone that maybe well, the Lord will speak to. We have somebody that needs a set of table and chairs for their new apartment so they can have their family over for Thanksgiving. So if you can donate one, make sure to see me afterwards. If you don't catch up with me, you can write it on the go-kart, so I'll catch back up with you, and we'll get it moved over to their house. So, you know, um, just what a great way to bless people, because God gives givers gifts to give, doesn't he? All right, take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, where we pastored in Arizona in a little town called Sholo, Arizona. Uh, had a pretty predominant Mormon community. In fact, uh, uh, there was roughly 51, 52% Mormon. If you're not familiar, Mormon, by the way, uh, is not Christian. It is a cult. And uh, it, it has a very, uh, very specific and um, a dynamic spirit associated with that whole belief system. Uh, in fact, it really is uh, a religious spirit. Uh, religious spirit uh, just... Uh, it, while it was perpetrated, certainly in the Mormon faith, it, it also bleeded over into the church in different manifestations throughout the White Mountains. And in small communities, pastors tend to be a, a lot more you know, tight-knit, close together, kind of talking through some of the issues. And one thing that just kept coming up over and over again was a religious spirit that would show up in the church. We had uh, one particular family that uh, was new to our church, and they had us over for dinner. And uh, we had a great time, salmon, and uh, they just were incredibly hospitable. And they never came back to church, and, which is rare, and uh, especially when you've really just got a chance to just have a meal with them and get to know them. Uh, but, uh, but what they found out is that I believe that women can actually have a place of ministry and even preach the gospel. And so there was a, uh, a pushback because, again, in that religious spirit, especially in, in that's bred out of Mormonism, uh, women have their place. Uh, and that religious spirit would come. In fact, I, I had a one gentleman that came uh, to our church, and uh, him and his wife, his wife worked at the hospital, and they were, uh, he, was, he did construction, he had, owned a concrete company, and, uh, and so I got to know him a little bit. We spent some time having coffee together, and, and he asked if I would come and, and counsel uh, his wife uh, and help her because she was struggling with extreme depression. And so... I went to his house, and uh, he, they had 40 acres out in a place called Concho. And, you know, Concho is a very unique place because, you know, basically you have drug dealers and people who are in the, you know, the government witness protection program because there's nothing out there. People live off-grid. They, you know, they have their own power, haul their water out there, all sorts of different things. And, and when, I, when I went into his house with him, he said, my wife is in here. And when I, when I went into where she was at, she was in, in a completely dark room. And she would not speak to me. And I kind of walked, went away going, Lord, I, I don't know what's going on. I've never really had someone who would refuse to speak to me in the area of counseling like that. And, uh, uh, and so I, I spent some more time with him. But then he found out that I believe that women have a place in ministry. But his reaction was quite different than the family that we went to uh, for their house for dinner he actually became extremely antagonistic toward me. Now, Sholo is a small town, uh, less than 10,000 people in, in that town, so you know people. And so it wasn't unusual to see him in the 
uh, in the different places. One particular place in, uh, that I saw him in Home Depot, he started to get an attitude and he started calling me names and telling me how horrible I am. And, and he didn't do it quietly. He did it out in the public so everybody could hear. In fact, when, when I finally got away from him in the store and I got out to my truck, I was with someone that had been with us. One of the, our first converts in the church was with me at that time. And, uh, and we were going out to the truck and he saw me and he started coming at me. Now, uh, I, I know that, that I joke around about the five-fold ministry, but listen, this new convert, Charlie, he was all right with the five-fold ministry, and he thought this guy was going to come and beat me up. He was really antagonistic. In fact, it got so bad that uh, I, I had this one particular place that I went to get my hair cut. My hair grows really fast. I have to get a haircut every two weeks, and, uh, and so I would go, and these Spanish ladies just do a great job, and, and, I, and I would go there to get my hair cut, and, and it, was a, it wasn't a big room. In fact, it was smaller from here, where I'm standing, and the people in the front row, probably another four feet this way, where you had all the chairs lined up, and then everybody that was waiting for their haircut was right there. Well, I was getting my haircut, and he sat right in front of me, and the entire time I was getting my haircut, he was berating me. You see, there's something incredibly dangerous about the religious spirit. The religious spirit does not settle until it gets what it wants. Because ultimately, it was the religious spirit that killed Jesus. A religious spirit is incredibly, incredibly destructive. It really can, it can affect a person's well-being. It affects relationships. It affects people's spiritual journey. So why are we talking about this? Am I trying to kill a religious spirit in this church? No. The reason we're talking about it is because what you're going to find as you grow more and more in life groups, that life groups can be an area, a place, where the religious spirit will show up. Because a religious spirit will look for any opportunity it can to accomplish its goal. And because that oftentimes and, and rarely does a religious spirit have a place on Sunday morning to speak, it will find smaller environments in order for the spirit to do its work. And this is exactly what Jesus is training and teaching the crowds and his disciples in Matthew chapter 23. He's addressing the breeding ground for the religious spirit. So let's, let's look at it together. In fact, even before I read it, just if you're, if you're taking notes today, there's going to be some really good places to highlight and some questions that you can write down. So I'll try to go and repeat especially the questions so you get those down in your notes. But then it says in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them at people's, on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their flactories broad and their fringes long. 
And they love the place of honor at the feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, that is 13 verses with an incredible amount of content And so I want to break it down a little bit because really what Jesus is doing as he is teaching the crowds and his disciples is just really one thing. And it's our connect here today. It's beware of ego within religion. The remedy is humility and service. Beware of ego within religion. Now, let's take, talk about religion just for a moment here, because, because if you've been a Christian very long, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any amount of time, you find that, that religion has a positive and a negative to it. And most people gravitate, which is normal in life, is, is they gravitate towards the negative. And certainly, uh, Jesus is uh, talking about something that is dead, a spirituality that has to do with works with no life. But you'll also notice that in that scripture, he doesn't say, reject religion. He says, do what they say. And we miss that. Because because we like the idea of, of religion being something that we cast aside. Because maybe you've heard it this way. It's not a religion. It's a... I would say, please get religious about your relationship. And I think Jesus is the same way. I think Jesus understood that he himself was very religious. He was a Jew who observed Jewish things. He was one who would go and and made sure he understood the scriptures. For them, it would have been the Old Testament. He was one who would be in groups and go off by himself to pray. He was somebody who was habitual, meaning it was a habit. He was habitual about attending synagogue services. And he said, do what they say. But don't observe and do what they do. Because What Jesus was having a problem with was not religion. He had a problem with religious people. The body of Christ, whether you recognize it or not, just by the the sheer fact it's called the body of Christ, makes it a religion. Because the body of Christ brings organization to something. We understand that Jesus is the head, and who's the body? We are. And now we have, we, each of us have a different part of the body, but by that sheer statement, 
we understand that there is something about religion. But religious people release a religious spirit. And real community, and I want you to get this, real community fights that. Real community puts the hand up to that kind of stuff. Real community says we're not going to release a religious spirit. How does that even happen? Well, religious spirit happens when ego happens. So we really should say no ego, amigo. I think that's the mantra for every Christian, right? No amigo, no ego, amigo. Because you maybe have heard it this way, ego is just an acronym for edging God out, right? Edging God out. And when you edge God out, you make room for the religious spirit. And so we want to make sure that we're careful, that, that, that we, are, we are aware, because Jesus wanted us to be aware, both within ourselves, because we all have a little Pharisee in us, Right? Turn to your neighbor and just say, we all have a little Pharisee in us. That was pretty easy, right? Now, now look at him and say, I have a little Pharisee in me. We all have a little Pharisee in us. I, I've never understood the Texas culture when it comes to Christmas. And if I get a little Pharisaical, it's when it comes to Christmas. To me, when I think about Christmas Eve, I, it, it, Christmas Eve in Arizona was one of our largest services of the year. But Texans, and, I, and I'm speaking specifically to the Texan culture, the Texas culture, it's like, I'm at church all year long. I, I, that's family time. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is one of the most holy days of the year where we recognize that the God of heaven came to earth. Now, that's me being a little religious. Some of you are going, Phew. But I found that the Texas culture is religious because they cease going to church as a duty. And they've done their duty. So don't ask them to do their duty on Christmas Eve. Now again, I'm, I'm not separating here. I got my issues. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't quite expect it to be that quiet. Because I think that we hear, there's, what we want to do is twofold. I think this morning when we talk about Jesus saying beware of ego within religion, uh, it ha- we have to make sure that as we are his priesthood, as we've been called by him to, to, to move and, and take on this, this, this ministry, this responsibility, this, this personal responsibility to minister in, 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 the, in the scope of, of my circle of influence. When we take that on, We have to beware of the ego that comes with religion because people gravitate toward other people who know things and do things. And when they understand you know things about God and and God moves through you, people gravitate. And oh, I'm telling you, that feels so good. When I first started following Jesus, when I first started, excuse me, in in ministry, uh, and and, you know, when the Lord told me to, to start a church, I had no clue what I was doing. Not a clue. I, I wonder if I still have a clue. But not only did I have a clue, I didn't even know how to preach. Okay, but thank Jesus that I came in the days of the internet. So I would just go to Rick Warren's website, and I would download a Rick Warren sermon and go, I could do that. 
we had a young lady that, and, and her husband, they were missionaries on the Navajo Reservation and on the Apache Reservation, nearly their entire ministry life. And uh, they were in their uh, late 70s when we started the church. They had actually prayed for an Assembly of God church to come to Sholo. So when we started the church, they attached herself. And, and June Mills, who, by the way, just passed this week. I'm going to go do her funeral this next week, but she just about 100 years old. When I, when I would step off the, the, the pulpit and be done with service, she would always find one positive thing to say about the sermon. Because the fact of the matter is, I didn't have it. Fast forward a number of years, I would, I would preach and I'd have this guy in our church and he'd always come up to me after service and he'd say, I agree with exactly what you said. He said that every Sunday. I agreed with 100% of what you said. Now, I didn't say this because I'm a nice guy, but I'm thinking, I didn't agree with everything I said. But if we're not careful, we take the compliments, we take the things that people say to us and it speaks to our ego, and it starts to get inflated. And what we do without realizing is that we begin to edge God out. And whenever in ministry we begin to edge God out, we make room for a religious spirit. And I'm telling you as one who has experienced in the face audacity and the venomness of a, of a religious spirit, I don't want that in our midst. I want to fight it. Because the life that was in this room, the, 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 the speaking the name of Jesus and the singing, and one of the things I, I like about, about the design of this room is, is, is I, can, I can ignore what's coming from the speakers, and I can hear the voices praising God from behind, being you guys. It's, it's a beautiful thing. You think the devil likes that? No. The devil is going to look for every opportunity he can to get in our midst and change that, to mess it up, to break it apart, to pull it apart. And one of his main ways of doing that is getting someone to get a little bit of an inflated ego. Edge God out so a religious spirit can get in. So Jesus, he gives some very interesting dynamics when it comes to the religious spirit. And I think this is the big part of how we grow. There are four, four parts to this that I think that we need to always check about ourselves and about people that are around us. The first... Uh, the first has to do with places, because if four times Jesus mentions places when he talks about the Pharisees. He says, the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They love the place of honor at feasts. They want the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. Clarissa and I had an a opportunity to find out about uh, the religious spirit really early on in our, in our married life. We had went back to the church that uh, I had been saved at, New Life Assembly of God in Mesa. And, uh, and I began to serve and began to just uh, do what I can around the church. And, and so they, they, the first responsibility was they made me an usher. And this is in the days where ushers had authority, right? I mean, we had our own plaque. How many remember those days where the ushers had a plaque? Okay, it was the spot, right? And, and, and we sat right there because, again, you know, we were going to take up the offering, and, and so we, we had this place. Well, one Sunday we come to church, and some new people, some outsiders, were sitting in our seat. You know, Clarissa, she came to me. There's people sitting in our seat. 
She's like, yeah, let's, we'll find a different seat. We'll, we, and boy, I'm glad we did. I'm glad we, we didn't actually step into the religious spirit because we could have said, uh, excuse me, see that plaque right there? That's mine. Because it was that Sunday that, that her and her son gave their lives to Jesus Christ and came back that night and her son was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, there was an opportunity to release. If, there, if, if, if the ego had been in a place where I had edged God out, or Claire said edged God out, then we could have spoke up and, and felt good about what we were saying, and two people would not have had the opportunity to receive Christ. Well, in Jesus' day, the, the seat of Moses was all about a place of judgment, and this is the way you live, and this is, is what you do. And so there was this seat. Where, they would, where the religious leader would sit. And this is why Jesus was saying, now listen, there are places, and I want you to get this, there are places where there's, there's some places of importance. And Moses' seat was one of them. Because he said, do what they say. It's, it's where they spoke. It's where they, this is how you live your life. But don't do what they do, because... Because they were out. They, they, they got to the place where they sat in that seat, where they sat in that chair... And it wasn't about, it no longer was about, you know, making uh, God available and encouraging and strengthening for everyday life. It really became about them. It was the place to sit. When they got to the feast. I don't know how often. I, I, I just, you know, for years, I, 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 don't, I don't like it when it's buffet time and someone comes and gets, goes, Pastor, you go first. No, I want to go last. And a big part of the reason I started that wasn't because I was trying to fight a religious spirit. It's because Jesus said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And I'll be last and don't mind being last until Jesus comes. Because there's a moment that I believe he's going to say, now's the time to be first. But they, had, they were in a place where they looked for this place where everybody would go, oh, I want to be like them. See, I've not really had to have that issue because when you have a white spot on your head, rarely do people say, I want to be like that guy. <laughs> but they had the best seats in the synagogues. But the greetings in the marketplace was not about, it was about where they positioned themselves, the place they would put themselves so everybody would see them. And I think that when we, when we put ourselves before the Lord and we, we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to check us, where, where ego might be taking over. I think there's a good question here. And I think that the question is, might go something like this. Am I driven to get ahead? Or do I step aside for others? And I think that's a good question to ask before the Lord. Am I, am I driven to get ahead? Am I driven? Because in our culture, isn't that what it's all about? Or are we willing to step aside for others? Because Jesus also said that when you go to sit at a banquet table, don't put yourself up by the king. Don't put yourself up by the one who invited you. Because you don't want to kick out and make you look bad. But if you, if you put yourself on an end and get called up, it's a whole lot better. But I think the other thing is, as we grow in, 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 in the life group dynamic and as, uh, as leaders and, and as we mature in the things of the Lord, I think it's good that we are we're watching the people around us, those who are, are giving some... Uh, resemblance of spiritual leadership, and we can ask ourselves the question, what are they doing with their authority? What are they doing with it? Are their lives matching up, or, or, or does it just look like they're just trying to position themselves as somebody? These are good questions, I think. 
But Jesus not only talked about places, he also talked about titles. What I've just thrown in there is position. He mentions three titles. He mentions rabbi, father, and teacher. Now, Jesus was not in his discourse here saying that titles are bad. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is that when a person takes a position and puts themselves before God, it becomes bad. Because we know that teacher is one of the fivefold ministries. That's my gifting. I'm a teacher. No one, no one at Bethel calls me teacher. That didn't bother me any, by the way. But Jesus, Jesus is addressing that when ego starts to happen and God begins to get edged out, the religious spirit comes in and people use their position, their titles, as a way to motivate and to move people. And what he's really wanting is his father and himself to always be first. He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. We only have one heavenly father. And so I think that when it comes to the title thing, I think good questions that we could ask ourselves, one in particular, has everything to do with our identity. Is my identity found in a uniform? Is my identity found in a, in a title? Is my, uh, is, my is my identity found in an office that I hold? Where, where is my identity? And one of the things that I, that I like that uh, Rex has just said over the years as we've been together is, is, you know, our identity, it's not about knowing who I am. I don't need to know who I am. What's really important is that I know who the great I am is. And the more I know him, the more identity begins to get solid. But I think the other part, and, and especially in our day where, where you know, we have a lot of uh, re religious people with titles and authority and, uh, and, and, and really longing and looking for people to get, uh, to get in their backing is we ask the question, how often does someone with the, with the authority say, watch this, these two words, I am. Listen for those two. Because someone who, someone who is big on the titles, it's really about their position, it's all about I. I am this, I am that. And when you hear that along, a lot, you recognize that there, there's an ego that's inflating. And that gives rise, that gives the ability for a religious spirit to begin to move. But Jesus said another interesting thing, and, and it really has to do with popularity. He says, for they make their flaccatories broad. Now, what were those flaccatories? They were, they were, they were, they were twofold. They were, they were these pouches that they would wear uh, strapped to their hand and bound around their 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 foreheads. And in those pouches were scriptures. Because going back to Deuteronomy, what the Lord was doing with this is he was really trying to help them really identify and recognize that in their hand, we need to handle the word correctly. That when they had the pouch, I, when I, I just, I don't know why I think this way, because I just do, is, is I think of pouch around, I become cross-eyed looking at that in between, but, but, but literally, the Lord was really bringing us to a place where the eyes, what were you, were you thinking about God's word? It was real close to the mouth. Were you speaking God's word? And so they would tie that, but, but here's, here's is so, so funny. Jesus says they made it, what? Broad. 
So it wasn't a little pouch for these guys. They went out and they made sure that their pouch was bigger than your pouch. And apparently when it comes to ego, size matters. Because he says it's broad. Did I make a joke? Yeah, we live in a culture that way. It's ego. It's ego. Ego always edges God out. So I think a good question that we should ask ourselves before the Lord is, do I need to be recognized? Do I need to be recognized? What if nobody noticed what I was doing? When it comes to the the others and we're evaluating this popularity thing, our small group where everybody has a, has a voice, I think it's always good to look, do they reveal what God's activity is in their life? Or can they only tell you God's activity in your life? Because God's not done. He's always working on us. He's always doing something. It's always a place for us to grow. But if, but if really what a person looking for is some form of, of spiritual popularity, then they're always going to have the answer for you. And then the last one is, is real subtle, uh, but it has everything to do with posturing. Uh, Jesus said, so do and observe what they tell you. Because there, there's this dynamic where there are people that are speaking things that are good, right, and whole. But their motive is more about posturing by what they say. So Jesus said, watch what they do. Good way to think about posturing is, is that as you're evaluating people, there are people that are high talk, low walk. High talk, low walk. That's what Jesus was describing here. And when there's high talk, low walk, I guarantee you there's a religious spirit in there. And so Jesus said, watch it. So we could ask ourselves, does my life match my message? And we can look at others and say, does their life match their message? So the, when we talk about the go piece in this, this is really easy. Jesus made it as plain as possible. He says to the crowd, and he says to the disciples, he says, the antidote, the antidote to the ego. And, and by the way, I wish, by the way, we all could just get a syringe of humility, stick it in the side there, we got it. It ain't that easy. He said, he said, serve and be humble. I'm going to reverse them. Let's talk about, talk about humility for a moment. Because in Jesus, what Jesus is talking about humility is just us constantly getting off our high horse. Listen, it's exactly what happened to Paul. But Paul needed help. By the way, God won't, God won't, don't pray God, say God, help me be humble. Humility is our choice. This is a choice we make. One of the incredible things about COVID is God wasn't humbling the world. He humiliated the world. And it was meant to humble us that we don't have the answer. We are not the ones. We can't, science isn't going to figure everything out. And so, so he was attempting through the humiliation. What he did with Paul is he humiliated him and caused him to be blind and knocking him off his high horse so that he would humble himself. But there is a thing about false humility. False humility is a very real thing. It, false humility is, is, for me, it doesn't seem that difficult to identify. It's people who are always putting themselves down. It's, it's the Christian who says, well, it was all God. Well, no, it wasn't. 
God only did a couple things all by himself. He created the universe, and he came in the form of a human, and even did that as a human. God always uses humanity. But a person who never receives credit is just really giving false humility. They believe in their own minds. There's this ego that says, I will look like this. And until I do, I'm not the person I'm supposed to be. That is not humility. That's ego. And so that ego is always saying, I'm sorry. And you're going, you don't have to be sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for saying I'm sorry about saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's false humility. It's ego. I like what C.S. Lewis said about humility, that humility is not thinking of yourself, uh, thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. And it's easy to do that when you humble yourself before the Lord. Louis Giglio says, says that humility is not a character trait to be developed. It's only by a byproduct of being with Jesus. The more we're with Jesus, the more we're humbled. I, I, I'm always amazed at how in the times where, in my, in my own time with the Lord, I walk away with this, with this sense of, of, of disappointment in myself. Because my ego is deflated and the Lord says, yeah, you still need to work on this. That's, that's, that's need some work, Rich. But the great thing is, is that it's right there that I find his grace and I find his mercy. Because what God wants to do is he wants to take our ordinary lives and do extraordinary things. And so it starts, to me, it starts with this, this stepping down of ourselves, this humbling ourselves, but then service, just finding someone to serve. I think it is an incredible ministry, and I want you to get this. Men, it's an incredible ministry to serve your wife. Wife, wives, it's an incredible ministry. Incredible ministry to serve your husbands with humility. You want to win a man over, serve him with humility. But for us, listen... There's, there's no shortage of opportunities for us to serve. You can serve family members. You can serve next-door neighbors. I, you know, we, we've been praying, you know, for the last four, five, almost five years for the house next to us to sell. And, and it sold, and we met the people that are from Austin. They came up for, for a week. We haven't seen them since. But in that week, got a chance to meet him, and I saw an opportunity to serve him, so I gave him a hose to use. He hadn't been back. I've wondered about my hose. But the fact of the matter is, I served. Now watch this. When we humble ourselves and we serve, not only is our ego being kept in check, but now God is not edged out, but he's showing himself through service. The love of Christ is being demonstrated as we serve one another, as we serve the people who are in our circle of influence. So the go is not that difficult. Humble ourselves this week. Find someone to serve. Because Jesus basically said, beware of ego within religion. So we live the antidote. We humble ourselves and we serve. So Lord, thank you for helping us 
to be in a place where, and I just want to speak this over the congregation, and I, I, just, want to, I just want to speak a blessing of, of discernment with a religious spirit. I pray, Lord, that you, will, that you will give us a supernatural ability to recognize when a religious spirit is trying to crop up, where it's trying to pop up within our midst and in the midst of our life group or in the midst of our, our one-on-one discipleship times, whenever it is, Lord, that, that you would allow us to recognize it. So that, Lord, so that, Lord, not that we would be condemning. We don't want to be that way, Lord. Help us and give us wisdom on how to address it. As we, as we help people recognize the importance of humbling ourselves before you. I pray, God, that you will, that you will give all of us this opportunity this week to experience the, the, the weight of your glory in such a way that we would, in maybe a small part, walk away like, like Isaiah did when you said, who will go, who, whom shall we send, who will go for us? He just said, send me, send me. He was ready to serve God because he had been humbled by your mighty presence. And so, Lord, may your presence humble us this week. And the Lord, I pray that we, would, that we would make a commitment to listen to your spirit, to look for opportunities to serve so that, Lord, we might set up walls of protection from the religious spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.